Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together, we are the Anxiety Sisters. Anxiety Sisters, we are having a BFF cast when it's just me and Mags. Say hi, Mags. Hi. Hi, everybody. We were deciding what to talk about for this BFF cast, and we thought, oh, let's talk about the hardest thing ever. Let's talk about shame. Hmm. Wait, because wait. Anxiety Sisters don't usually feel shame, right? Never. We never feel shame. Yep. That is a foreign emotion to me. So we, we, we decided to talk about shame because we were talking about it with a group of anxiety sisters not that long ago, and it was so resonant for so many of us that we thought we should share it with our entire podcast audience. So without further ado, we are going to talk about shame and anxiety. And, and the truth is, shame is such a big part of the anxiety story because, you know, shame causes anxiety and then anxiety causes shame. So it's one of those vicious cycles that we always talk about, one of those loops. So Abs, how would you describe shame? Like if someone said, what is shame? Like, how would you, how would you talk about it? Well, I probably would describe how it feels in my body. Like I would say, you know, hot, red in the face, upset stomach, all that stuff. But if I guess I was going to try to define it academically, Mm -hmm. I would say that it would be the feeling of, of not belonging or being kids, not, not even not belonging, but sort of being kicked out of the group or not being, being not wanted by the group. Right. Now, or not being acceptable, acceptable to the group. Exactly. And often when I'm having shame, I sort of start to float, get the floaty feeling. Um, You you leave your body, you vacate the building. Sometimes, sometimes I'll vacate the building. That's a very typical reaction of shame for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense because that's a typical reaction for you with acute anxiety. So I think shame and anxiety probably feel similarly in our bodies for many of us. And I just want to ask one other question because I've been asked this a couple of times lately. Do you see um, a difference between feeling shame and feeling guilt? Hmm. I've heard that question before. I, you know, I think I tend to agree with Brene Brown. I think I tend to believe that guilt is more transactional, more, it's more of a behavior. Like you feel guilty that you didn't call your mother on her birthday or something, you know, like it's a thing you did versus shame is more like who you are. Like you could feel guilty that you, you know, you lied to your spouse about where you were the other night, but you would feel shame about being a liar. Yes. Like, like guilt for me is like, I feel guilty that I'm leaving my cats to go on vacation like that. I do. I feel guilt about that, but I certainly don't feel ashamed to leave. Them. Right. Well, wait, should, should I feel ashamed? About my no, no, you no. should not feel ashamed. Um, not you don't even like cats. That's for the wrong person to ask. No, but I know the life your cats live. You should not feel shame. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So guilt is more something that you do and shame is more about who you are. Yeah. Like I would much rather feel guilt than shame. Right. Cause guilt is a passing feeling. Yeah. And guilt, I feel like I have more choice with guilt. Like guilt right. is something that I did. Or didn't you know, do. Or did or didn't do. Whereas shame yeah. is who I am. And I, you're not changing that so quick. It's more of a real, a rejection of your soul. 
shame. You know, that's dramatic, but I'm dramatic. It's the feeling that you don't measure up somehow or that there's something wrong with you. Yeah, I feel bad just talking about it. There are a lot of things that trigger that feeling of shame. You know, so many people tell us that their struggles with anxiety or depression or bipolar or whatever they're struggling with really triggers shame. At least we're talking about it more now in the mainstream. You know, when you and I were coming up into the world, it was not a subject that we talked about, you know, back in like the 80s when you and I met in college. Nobody was talking about depression and bipolar and mental illness of any sort, right? Or anxiety. None of that was being discussed. So I feel like the mental health conversation, at least, I mean, we we have such a long way to go, but at least there's some light in it now in that it's celebrities can talk about their struggles and sports stars can talk about their struggles and still be considered celebrities and sport sports stars and people that we'd like to emulate. In other words, it doesn't disqualify them. You know, so I do think that we are triggered by our mental health in terms of shame, but I also think that we're shining a light on it now more. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. really, that's going to help that. How people react to other people's issues, that is a big part of the shame. So not just like, oh, what's wrong with you? But even sometimes when people say, oh, just relax. Like that is very that you could just relax. It, it can feel very shaming because it, it's kind of like, oh, that's your option, but you're choosing not to do it. Yeah, it's almost like it's that guilt versus shame thing. It's like you have a choice of some sort. Or a lot of people feel shamed when they have to call up the family and say, I can't make it to this and this event. Right. Well, we don't want to let people down. And the problem is that, you know, anxiety sisters are some of the most empathic people I've ever met in my life. It's not like we're connected from how other people feel. We really want to please people. We really want people to care about us and like us and be happy with us. And so when we have to let people down, it's definitely wounding for anxiety sisters. We care about that. Yeah. And people shame us around it too, because they say like, what? Just get in the car and come. Like, what's the problem? Or you don't want to see us or you're being lazy, you know? So we're definitely shamed around things we can't do. But even when people don't say those words, like you're lazy or you're flaky or unreliable, sometimes it's just implied because of the way Western culture sees mental health issues. Uh, At least I felt that. Sometimes it's implied when someone's silent, you, you know what they're thinking. Yes. Yes. Like, Oh, okay. You know that that particular, oh, uh, all right. Yeah, I hope you feel better. It's like you hear that and you know what's really being thought. Yeah, the pregnant pause too. Yeah. Yeah. I know that also for a lot of women, another thing that's very shaming is around weight or appearance issues, aging. I get so upset if you get on the internet and you're reading comments about women and they're always directed toward their physical appearance. Like if if someone wants to bring down a woman, they usually will say something about how they look. Well, don't forget women's bodies are for public consumption in the United States and in Western culture in general. So that isn't surprising, although very sad and upsetting and it should be changed. But yes, people believe they, they are free to comment on anything about a woman's body. It's really interesting when when a middle-aged guy gets a bit of a paunch in his belly, then, you know, he has a dad bod. But when a woman in her 50s gets a paunch in her belly, she's let herself go. Yes. I mean, don't you ever think 
I don't think there's ever been a time where my husband thought, I don't want to see someone or go somewhere because I'm embarrassed that I have gained weight. He may not have liked that he gained weight. He may have, he may notice it, but he's never thinking, oh, I don't want to see those people because they're going to think I'm so fat. For women, your weight has become a sign of everything about you. So if your weight isn't the ideal, then, you know, you must also be a mess everywhere else. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. and that's why we feel so shamed about it because we think it's who, there's this who you are. If you're a fat woman in the United States, then you're less than. Yes. Yes, exactly. Of course it brings shame because you're being told you're less than. Yes. Even by one's own family sometimes, you know. Especially by one's own family. (laughs) And going along with that is definitely... I, I'm starting to understand it's definitely aging for women as they get older into middle age, it starts. I, I remember a woman saying to me at a workshop we did, we were doing a workshop in Vermont and she said, I'm just started to become invisible. Yeah. I mean, even the construction workers aren't catcalling anymore. It makes sense because if women's bodies are for public consumption, and we value youth and thinness and all these things. As you get older, those things are harder and harder to come by. You don't look like you're 16 when you're 56. And you don't have the same body you had at 16 when you're 56. Even being fat at 16 is different from being fat at 56. It really is. It's like your body does different things. And, you know, as people continue to age, there's so much shame because this society, so much of it is around that somehow you can control whether you age and how decrepit you get, that you have complete control over that. So when people start to feel the natural parts of aging, they're told if you just went to the gym more, or if you just did this, or you just did that, if you eat better, as if you do those things, you will not age, which is just not true. Well, aging is thought of in Western culture as a problem. And the solutions are all those products we're supposed to buy. Well, if you just buy this really expensive skin treatment for your face, then you won't look like you're getting crow's feet around your eyes or wisdom line. If you just dye your hair, it won't get gray or white. So you won't look like you're getting older. And if you just, you know, buy the right clothing, you can accentuate the right things and you could look younger. Everything is product oriented. True. And the and all the plastic surgery and... I'm scared. You know. I'm scared of Botox. I just thought I would I would tell you and our listeners. Oh God. Like no one's putting a needle in me unless it's necessary. <laughs> I don't think I don't think like that's why Botox doesn't want us to be like they don't want to sponsor our podcast because they know anxiety sisters, we're not getting needles if we don't have to. Right. <laughs> we'll take the shame of aging. Other things that a lot of people talk about with shame um, is sexuality in terms of being gay or lesbian or transgender sexuality, even being heterosexual was used to shame women for a very, very long time. Still is, you know, whether someone is a quote unquote, you know, slut or not. You I've always really wanted to be sluts. I know we really we sw- did. We wanted that. Know, we you know, nice Jewish girls. It was something we always aspired. I know. To. I think, I think now it's okay to be a slut. I think it's, I think it's getting much easier for younger people, but for people definitely in their forties and fifties and above, that was a real way to keep people in line for people to sort of say, well, you'll get a reputation or something. Mm -hmm. That was a way to shame women into not expressing their sexuality. I wish I slept with more people. Yeah, me too. You know where I felt 
I remember a time in my life when I felt a lot of shame was when, like when John was a baby. Yeah. I feel like those parenting groups are set up oh. just to shame you because I wasn't really on a timeline. Yeah. You know, but a lot of p- competitive mothers really are like they count when you give up, when your baby gives up the pacifier and when he or she goes into the crib and you know, how old they are when they potty train. And I sort of, I'm not laid back as a person, but I was pretty laid back about the timeline with those things. Yeah. I remember one time I had a play date for my son when he was, I don't know, two and a half or something. And the person came over with their kid and they came up to his to John's room to play. And the kid, the other kid said, you still have a crib. I have a big boy bed. And I remember me, not John didn't care, but I remember I felt so ashamed like, oh, oh. failing at motherhood because I haven't put my child in a bed yet when he's two and a half. You know, it's like that kind of stuff. I don't know. Oh, I think it happens all the time, even in terms of like when you're out in public with your child and they have a meltdown. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, and it's embarrassing. And somehow, you know, sometimes you're looked at as like, a bad, you're shamed for it, for yeah, being like, a bad parent, quote unquote. Especially on an airplane. Yeah. I also remember a huge amount of shame around the, the idea of breastfeeding versus formula feeding. I don't think it's that way. Oh. Is it still that I way? I don't think it is. I hope it's not. Breastfeeding versus formula. I mean, there was shame around, quote unquote, working mothers versus, quote unquote, stay-at-home mothers. I mean, there was just so many areas to be judged about. You know, when we talked to anxiety sisters about what causes them shame, there were some really interesting responses. And one person talked about being ashamed of her abusive marriage because she felt weak for staying in it. And another person talked about growing up in an abusive home because her father, everyone else thought he was a great guy, um, everyone outside the home, but he was really abusive to the family. And another person talked about being sexually abused and then becoming quite promiscuous as she got older and feeling shame around both those things. So I think trauma often, especially different kinds of family trauma where we have secrets to keep, it can feel very shaming. Somehow we don't feel quote unquote normal. And I think trauma is probably one of the biggest pieces that leads us to shame. And it, and when we look at it from the outside, we say, oh, a child that was abused, how can they feel shame for something an adult did? But children feel shame and adults feel shame around abuse. Well, that's like saying, how can children feel their, feel responsible for their parents' marriage? I mean, we know that when there's divorce, kids very often yes. feel it's their fault. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense, but kids do personalize things. That's what they do is they, they don't understand about it being about other people yet. They're not able to. It's about themselves. When the people that are supposed to, to love you and protect you don't, the way people often think about it is, if I could only be different. Mm they wouldn't be doing this or somehow I brought this on because it's almost too scary to think about the opposite, which is the person that's supposed to protect me is a monster. Right. That's a scary thing to think about as a child, particularly, but even as an adult, sometimes that's a scary thing to think about. Oh, absolutely. I think about things that are shame fertilizers, you know, things that, that make shame grow would be secrecy, silence, and judgment. Yes. And I think that nothing <laughs> creates more secrecy, silence, and judgment than trauma. Narcissists and abusers, they use shame 
to their advantage. Absolutely. By, by forcing people to keep secrets, by imposing silence, by creating judgment in other people that doesn't even exist. I mean, we've seen on MRIs, brain MRIs, how shame, when someone's feeling shame, it looks the same on an MRI of their brain as it does when they're feeling severe physical pain. We feel shame very physically, which is why when you asked me about it, the first thing I did think of was how it feels in the body. Some people talk about feeling shame if they're a perfectionist, about making even a small mistake. Hello. Or, or thinking they're not doing the right thing at every moment. And I know I did think about you when someone said that. <laughs> it's the curse of the perfectionist that, well, what you're really trying to outrun the whole time is shame. Right. That's the motivation. You know, people who aren't perfectionists don't know that. But the motivation for those of us who are perfectionists, it's not to be perfect. It's so that we don't get it wrong and get kicked out. Right. Right. You know, it's the fear of rejection and the fear of being shamed that causes us to pursue relentlessly, you know, getting it right. Quote yeah. It's, it's interesting because that was a thing I learned from you mm. about that piece. Yeah, I don't that see you struggling with that as much. I don't. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not a piece. I have plenty of shame, but not around that one. You know, I'm in a, a group for neurodiversity and cleaning and organizing issues. And there's a lot of shame there too. Yes. So the opposite side has a ton of shame. It's a all lot about of us get out alive. Unless you're a sociopath, you're feeling shame. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Shame is something good to feel sometimes. I remember with one of my kids, like looking or picking up her diary when she was a kid. Yeah. She wasn't around picking up her diary and I was going to look in it. And I felt so like this overwhelming feeling of shame in that moment. Like, oh my God, I, I almost like I was afraid someone was going to see me doing it. And that right. told me, put down that diary. You are not the kind of person who looks at her kid's diary. Right. So in that sense, shame was, you know, showed me my true north, right? It showed me that this is not who I am. You know, we um, talked about what, what causes shame to grow, right? What the, those fertilizers of silence and judgment and secrecy. So then the opposite right. obviously causes sh shame to shrink. Honesty, communication, compassion, empathy. Those are the kinds of things that shine a light on, on, on that shame darkness. Do you know what I'm saying? You and I spend our lives ad nauseum deconstructing anxiety. I mean, that's all we do. But we should be doing the same thing for all human emotions, right? We should do it for shame too, because it will help us manage it better and not get into that spiral. Because as we pointed out, feeling shame sometimes isn't so bad. It's a question of if we let it turn into a spiral. Right. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes shame can alert us to something that's not right. And I that's think true. I mean, when, when someone does something to us that, that, that makes us feel ashamed, that inclination like, oh, oh my goodness, I, you know, this is, this is not right. I'm upset about this. That's a good feeling to have, to know that something's not right. But what we tend to do in the society is, is squelch it and keep secrets and keep everything quiet and on the down low. Whereas if we teach people to be able to communicate about it and to be more open, what we name, we can tame, et cetera. When we, when we do that, we can stop a shame spiral. Yes, we can. You know, we talk about the response to anxiety is fight, flight, freeze, or fawn right? Those are the four Fs, mm. which tend to be our response yeah. to anxiety. I think they're true for shame too. You know, for all of us, we're, we're biologically programmed to survive in a tribe. And so when we feel rejected or sort of out of the tribe, 
we react in a way to get to get back to safety. You know, our brains are just wired for safety. And being in a tribe is something that helps us uh, survive, especially, you know, in, in a very difficult world. It, it helped us even more. And so that fawning behavior, I think that people don't always recognize, but it, it's that what can I do to make this okay? What can I do to please you? I'm a lifelong people pleaser. In fact, I would start a people pleasing anonymous group, but would that be okay with you? <laughs> it would please me very much. It would please so, you. Then I would do it. Um, yeah. No, I mean, uh, yes. I mean, that's my response. Fawning is one of my responses to shame for sure. Right. You know, I'm, the, I'm right. less of a secret person or a hider. I'm much more right. of a, you know, of a people pleaser and even to the point of disregarding my own needs, prostrating myself. Right. You know, right. That, I, I do that in response to shame for sure. And I think a lot of people do. Yeah. Especially I think women are trained to do that in a lot of ways. We are not all of us do it, but we are trained to, you know, make nice often. Yeah. But even like, but, but fawning is not just making nice. It's making nice almost to your own detriment. Absolutely. Well, it's not, it's again, it's not doing something as choosing a response, right? It's doing something to ingratiate yourself in a way to make yourself acceptable. Right. And that's, that's the difference. Right. You know how we said the the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response for anxiety. If you think about it for shame, there's that fight response would be if like we started calling someone names or we were doing reciprocal shaming. Do you know what I mean? Like attack right. the, the anger or the anger. Well, that, that would sort of, that that's the fight response. Yes. Um, when we do the secrets and the hiding and the avoidance, that's the flight or the freeze response. And then when we do the people pleasing, then that's the fawning response. Right. Because shame, it often brings about very much of an anxiety response. What do we do to manage shame? The first thing we do is we understand what we're feeling and where we are feeling it, like you said. Because I think sometimes we don't know how to identify shame. We're feeling bad or depressed, but what but what we're really feeling is shame and we don't always know how to talk about it. It's funny that you said bad or depressed because I wouldn't have said either of those two words for me feeling shame. I would have said agitated and anxious. When we were interviewing people for our book, you know, on the anxiety experience, we were fascinated by how so many people didn't understand that what they were feeling was anxiety. Right. I, I think so many people don't understand when they're feeling shame. I agree with you on that one, but I think that the experience is so different for everybody. Like for you, it might be, you feel depressed. Yeah. For me, I would be, I would be the opposite of depressed. I feel anxious and, and agitated. Right. You know what I mean? Like almost right. irritable and jittery. Hypervigilant. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's interesting how it can, you know, the same shame can feel so different for so many people. So I think you're right. Deconstructing it, figuring out what it feels like for you, where you feel it. It's, it's, right. a, worthwhile, it's a worthwhile investigation. Sometimes the way to do that, I see this on anxiety sisters, and I know you do too, all the time is when we connect with other people and they say, Oh, here's what's going on for me. And we identify with them and see ourselves in them. Part of what happens is the shame comes down. Mm, yeah. Because, because we, because we're not outside of a group, right? If I right. say to you, Oh, I feel this way. And you say me too. Well, that's the power of those two words. Oh, I'm no longer alone. I'm not cast out. I have a partner. 
Okay, so we so we said we're gonna we should deconstruct the feeling of shame. Know what it is and where you feel it in your body. Be able to give a label to it. So, you know, you have, you know what you're working with. What else? I think we have to find ways to soothe not just our mind but also our bodies around shame. Some of the work is intellectual, right? Some of the work is talking to other people and connecting in verbally. And some of the work may be more physical, you know, more sort of from the Eastern medicine idea or doing something to calm and to reclaim your physical so that you're not just like a head. You're not just a head full of shame, but like that you're more connected to your physical body. Okay. So something like, so something like a yoga practice or something that connects you to your body or breath right. or, or meditation. Right. It could be walking out in nature. It could be, you know, it could be aromas that, that really soothe you and really connect you to yourself, really restore you. It could be playing with your cats because that's very sensory. Yay. I think particularly when people have certain kinds of shame around either their bodies or what's happened to their bodies whether that's illness or aging or surviving trauma or how they look, then some sort of work in that area, some sort of connection becomes even more important. I agree. And then let's let's wrap up with our favorite management strategy for just about everything, and that would be self-compassion. Yes, absolutely. Just starting off by saying, if I'm a human being, I am going to feel shame. This is a right. human emotion. This is a moment of suffering. I, you know, I'm allowed to feel this. There's nothing wrong with me for feeling this. There's that myth of human unique uniqueness, right? Right. I mean, we're each a unique person, but our experiences aren't so unique. It's right. really hard and it really hurts, but it's very human. Just, you know, really kind things. Talk to yourself as you would a very dear friend. And we know from research that people who have really strong sense of self-compassion are the most empathetic people. It actually mm -hmm. creates so much more empathy toward other people if you practice it on yourself. So if you're one of those people that struggles with it, thinking that, oh, that's selfish of me to focus on myself, think of it as you're trying to improve how nice you are to other people. That's a good point, Abs. I like that. Thank you. Okay. So announcements. We don't have any announcements, do we? We have no announcements. Okay, here it is. Ready? We have a book, Anxiety Sisters Survival Guide. You can get it anywhere you can get books. We have a podcast, The Spin Cycle with the Anxiety Sisters. You can get it anywhere you get podcasts. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be spending July and August recording podcasts for season six, which yes. is starting in September. Very exciting. You can find us in the usual places: Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> Twitter. You know where you can't find us? TikTok. Can't find us there. And we have a website, www dot anxiety sisters.com and you can email us at abs and mags at anxiety sisters.com thank you so much for joining us and remember anxiety, anxiety sisters don't go don't go it alone what is there an echo in here you've been listening to the spin cycle an anxiety sisters production copyright 2022 all rights reserved